it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Ty and Borg Daycare. Fed up of teaching your children? Stick them in a robot hive mind, never have to worry about them ever again. I am Charlie Etheridge Nunn. I'm a writer and I'm a fan of the role-playing game Paranoia. Hey, I'm Marjorie Lobato, science fiction writer, and while not a fan... I, for many years, I have been slaved to the Apple iPhone hive mind. Oh, God, same, same. It's how we communicate, actually, just that vague beeping of the Apple hive mind. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, I, it's fine, but Apple themselves are terrible. A- Apple is evil. Okay. Yeah, so... Each episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on a big list of best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. And, Miles, what are we doing this episode? Well, we are doing an episode on a race of biomechanical monsters who travel the universe, uh, taking people... Um, assimilates them into their collective, replacing their organic fleshy bits with nice metallic metallic bits. We are, of course, talking about the Cybermen. I mean, sorry, sorry, the the Borg. I should have known it would go into Cyberman places. And uh, yeah, that's good good record time for bringing up Doctor Who on here. Yep. Yeah, indeed, we are looking at the Borg today. But before we do that, Miles. What non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, I have actually been rereading one of the greatest comics of all time. I am, of course, referring to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' seminal and oft-imitated, oft, oft, oft-imitated comic, Watchmen. That's the sequel to Before Watchmen. It, no, actually, it, it's the prequel to um, that Jeff Johns classic, Free Jokers. I mean, sorry, <laughs> uh, Doomsday Clock. Oh, God, yeah, that that comic where Mary Marvel gets to see uh, Dr. Manhattan's penis. Yup. Like, I, I, I have been reading an issue a day just so I can, like, you know, properly... Savor it. Savor it, not rush it, and just kind of take it in. And here's my my hot Watchman take. It still holds up. It's it's one of the greatest comic books of all time for a reason. Yeah, it's it's a good one. It's a good one. It's just you know the fact that everyone post Watchmen uh, just decided to make everything grim and gritty and violent and a bit more rapey. It's oh it that's the kind of like that's. A problem you have to kind of apply to it in hindsight. The fact that Jeff Johns won't keep ripping Watchmen for parts. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's Oh god, who was it? I was on a call earlier today with someone who might be buying the 
DC Heroes adventures that use Watchmen uh, off of me. And he was like, yeah, it's like an early version of The Boys. It's like, oh, dear. Oh, no. no. Oh. oh. <laughs> uh, Brat Pack by Rick Vietch is an early version of The Boys. Oh, dear. I... Like, Ecstatics is an early version of The Boys. Squad? No, not Squadron Supreme. The Authority is an early version. The, it, there we go. Okay. Yeah, the Authority is an early version. Mark Millar's Authority is an early version of The Boys. Young Blood is an early version. <laughs> best, best move, I guess. Um, yeah, let's let's not talk about Young Blood. No, um, no. I I I I just recently got over Young Blood's disease, so I don't want to get it back. Yeah, yeah, it's nice seeing your pupils back again. Oh yeah, I love having the correct number of teeth. Uh-huh. Wow. And Charlie, yes. What about you? What non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? Well, it's for Brighton Fringe, and I always like to try and go to at least a thing. And but, uh, first of all, yeah, for our non-Brighton listeners, <laughs> what is the Brighton Fringe? So we have the Brighton Festival, which is where we get all manner of comedians and artists and musical acts, and it's all quite nice and fancy. And then you get the Fringe, which is, in theory, the the slightly artier cousin to it all. The thing is, the these days a lot of it is about as expensive as brighton festival sort of things and often as heavily booked so my partner and i both won first and third uh places in a an art trail treasure hunt last week and that was a good reminder to do something fringe wise and she booked us tickets to a celebration of 60 years of doctor who with fictional character Peter Fleming and neither of us had any idea who this person was but it was recommended by Stuart Lee and that's that's a good sign that we're going to enjoy something so in the past not even week in the past like four days I've listened to every episode of the podcast Into the Archives with Peter Fleming based mainly around the missing Doctor Who tapes in that this is a fictional BBC children's television creator and occasionally actor and the like. And every one of his shows is missing, all the tapes of it, even though he'd tried purposefully relabeling a bunch of Doctor Who tapes (laughs) for destruction instead of his own, which, you know, Power of the Daleks, yes. So, yeah, and a lot of it is increasingly weird. And any example of the shows that he either reenacts or has bits of audio that people have recorded um, from the telly are increasingly traumatizing for everyone involved. Sadly, he doesn't get into the details of his duel with Terry Nation for legal reasons, but um, both the live show where he spent most of it going through the 60 years of Doctor Who and his varied acts of sabotage because his own equivalent time-travelling Doctor providing edutainment kind of show got cancelled. And um, yeah, it it was good fun. 
And then he spent the last two and a half minutes promising anyone to shout out the name of a Blue Peter presenter who he would then libel. (laughs) 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 So, I I, I hope someone shouted up Peter Purvis. Okay, because then then it's libel against a Blue Peter presenter and a Doctor Who companion. Wow. Yeah, the ideal for him. Uh, So, yeah, that was good fun. And I definitely recommend Into the Archives. Once you're done, of course, listening to Casual Trek. Speaking of which, we ought to actually get on with Casual Trek. We actually have to talk about Star Trek? I know. This this is not what I signed up for. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about the Borg. And, of course, that means we ought to start from the very start. So our first episode is from Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2. Episode 16, titled Q Who. It's from the 8th of May, 1989. Jesus wept. I would have been eight years old at that point. Uh, it was written by Morris Hurley, directed by Rob Bowman. The UK and US number one hits are Eternal Flame by The Bangles for the UK and Like a Prayer by Madonna in the US. Both pretty good songs. The the it's always I forget that TNG came out at the very tail end of the eighties. It, it's always a show that feels quintessentially nineties to me it's, somehow. It's weird because yeah, I saw most of it in the nineties or the very early aughts, mm. and there's a kind of timeless oldness of it. You know, the original series has that very sixties action props music acting all of it and this just feels old in a non-specific way yeah it could have been 10 years ago it could have been 30 years ago um as it turns out it's yeah close no it 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 could have been made it couldn't be from 10 from the last 10 years because it's brightly lit true and we can see what people are doing yeah um yeah so that's our first episode yeah, and I'd best crack on with it. All right, I got a timer set here. As always, you have five minutes. I've just seen my <laughs> I am going well over. All right, because just so you know, if you don't complete this in five minutes, you will be assimilated, and your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to the collective. I mean, that feels worse for them than me, frankly. I, I I wonder how long we're going to make it through like this entire episode talking about a collective and not making a Ben Shapiro joke. Uh, Wait, hang on, hang on. I've got one. I've got the perfect Ben Shapiro joke. Ben Shapiro. Yeah, fair. Okay, on that note. Engage. So, welcome to the Enterprise, Sonia Gomez. She is breathlessly excited about being on the Enterprise in engineering. She's overly polite vending machines and ends up spilling hot chocolate on Picard. I was like, is this going to be a thematic through line? <laughs> no, no. Uh, Picard goes into a turbo lift in a weirdly video game third person mode and exits in a shuttle in the middle of nowhere. Oh God, it's Q. He's back. Q who? Yeah. yeah. Q is who anyway yes um laforge gives a bit of a pep talk to sonya in tenford and guinan's there acting a bit weird and spacey she senses something's amiss which is you know it's troy's beat but fine we'll forgive her this time and she phones for bridge 
who has a bit of a look around and realise we've mislaid our captain. Oh no, best stop, have a look for him. Is he under the sofa? Anything like that is always the last place you look. Check the sock drawer. Exactly. Q is just out in the middle of nowhere in space, loving irritating Picard, playing with a bouncy ball and says he's got a great offer for him. And Picard's like, fine, if it's just a chat, that's all right. And they're in 10 forward where Guinan hisses angrily at Q. And um, yeah, does weird kind of angry finger pokey hands up kind of thing. Guinan's angry cat hands. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Episode (laughs) title. Guinan's angry cat hands. Okay. Q does the same back as they've got previous with one another. Uh, Riker and Wolf turn up to join the conversation. Riker just smirking at this whole thing as he is wont to do. Q, as it turns out, wants to join the Q. No. Just no. Even without powers? Still no. He's a terrible person with or without powers. And where would he work? All of this is beneath him, in his opinion. And Q reckons he'd be a good guide because, you know, they'll need it. Especially, again, snap, 7,000 light years away. The Enterprise is sent spinning, hurtling. Two years of travel from the nearest star base at the edge of the neutral zone. And, uh, yeah, so where are they? Well, Guinan knows and suggests get a wiggle on best get going home and picard is very starfleet he decides no no we got some curiosity we will do the two-year trek back but let's have a look at this planet full of ruins and Guinan's like no get the fuck out of here these ruins have no life all the tech's harvested this is similar to some ruins at the edge of the neutral zone and that's bad um and yeah it's too late there's a big cube like a big big cube in space it's jarring it you don't need to be aerodynamic but there's something alien about this which we've not seen before thing is there's no life on board there's no space for bedrooms for people at all and when picard hails them he also taps in guy and say hey check this out and she says yeah that's for borg they like killed wrecked her people, scattered what's left of the stars, and yeah, just again, book it, JL. Get out of here. Unfortunately, it's too late. A Borg's in engineering with a wibbly scanning arm, and a crowd forms to kind of have a bit of a look at it, including LaForge, Gomez, Picard, and of course Q, who just mocks how little they know about this. Uh, Picard volunteers Worf to... One minute left. Great. Uh, to check it out and Worf sends one of his subordinates to check it out in turn because he knows better than doing this himself and it doesn't go well they kill the Borg and another Borg appears to finish the job it's that they're weird and no one quite knows what to do with them and Troy's like oh they're part of some sort of weird collective and Picard's like oh could my crew be a weird collective there'd be less insubordination here Anyway, they're going to leave, finally, and that goes awry. A tractor beam starts pulling them back, um, and the Borg, like, hole punch a section out of the saucer and drag it away. Uh, The Enterprise start firing on them and blow enough cube to stop any of the tractor beaming, but 18 people are dead 
and somehow not Gomez, who I so thought would have died in this episode. Apparently not. So yeah, the cube's powered down, and again, Picard's curiosity gets the better of him. He wants oh. to, to poke around. Oh no! Oh no! Oh. 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 Well, before you get assimilated, we, you know, we're gonna get the stopwatch going, and if you can get this done in three minutes, your organs remain on the inside, and your arm will remain unwibbly. Ooh. And engage. Okay, so yeah, Picard wants to poke around, but not himself, you know? Uh, so he sends Riker, Worf, and Data instead. And there's like this labyrinth, a mechanical labyrinth by way of the prisoner in there. It's very much a set, but kind of cool. Uh, there are Borg dormant in pods, and there's a baby crying, which is really creepy. And it turns out they've got babies in drawers, and they've all been kind of borged a bit. Um, the cube itself is repairing at a rapid rate, and Borg start to wake up and move around, but they don't notice anyone at first because, you know, it's not really a priority of dealing with them compared to fixing the ship. Again, alien and weird. And, yeah, they get out, and the cube starts chasing the Enterprise down, shoots the shields down, proved to be immune to any weapons. It looks really rough for our boys. And Picard goes, yes, we need Q's help. And with a snap, they're back where they came from. And Q says, yeah, I get the message, but don't kill 18 people when you want to tell us these kind of things. Just, you know, give us a call. And Q's like, ah, there are such wonders to show you and such horrors in the universe. Oh, it's going to be real fun. And then fucks off. And Guinan basically explains, yeah, Q's kind of kicked off a process that really shouldn't have happened yet. The Borg are now aware of the Federation, and that's not good. They've got like two years to get ready to prepare for the Borg. And Picard spins this into a win, going, yeah, it's all right. We've been complacent. We've rested on our laurels. The, the Klingons, the Romulans, it all feels doable. But something truly alien on an existential level is it's interesting. So, yeah, um, I guess that's, you know, a way to turn it into a win. Good work. The end. All right. Two minutes and four seconds. Two minutes and four seconds. I get to keep my limbs. You get to keep your limbs. All right, Charlie, question for you. Yeah. Have you ever spilt a drink on someone who has direct firing power on you? Direct firing power? Like, I've definitely spilt a lot of drinks. As a dyspraxic man, it's kind of default. Uh, kind of thing that's going to happen. I don't think any of them had the ability to fire on me, or I hopefully not the will to. Um, when I worked in a hotel, I once knocked a glass which spelt which spilt an aperitif on the general manager of the hotel. Oh no! And it was quite funny because one of the people on his on his table gave me a twenty pound tip for so, doing that. I guess so. When? Cool. Oh, cool. you meant firing like that. I thought you meant yeah. actually firing on me. Like No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely spilt drinks on yeah, on my my old late employer from the comic shop a number of times. I'm certain on at least one manager in the varied office jobs. I did at a work Christmas do manage to spill a drink of whiskey on myself and someone else at a pub 
and I was like, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, you know, um, uh, bought her a drink and said, you know, I'm sorry, at least most of it got on me. And the worst thing is, she was like, I know you. This happened last year as well. <laughs> like we'd had simultaneous Christmas do's at the same pub. And it's like, oh, she was like, you said exactly the same thing. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was drunk enough to have evidently forgot. But yeah, um, anyway, um, that kind of embarrassment aside, yeah, this, like, I don't know about you. It's been so long since I've seen any of these, and my memory is so awful. When I saw Sonia Gomez, I was like, she's kind of adorable and great yeah. fun. She's she's doomed. Like, she's... she is doomed in this. And she survives. She not only survives, she's in lower decks. That's a captain. Yeah, well done, Sonia. Good I, work. Knowing where the ball kind of go from, mm. it's like it's like when you watch early early Doctor Who, and you you see introductions like of of villains who are gonna go on to become villains, and they start off very kind of OP, and then they progressively get less so over time. Okay, this is going to be the second time I refer to the Cybermen. The Cybermen can't get shot with bullets. Um, you have to kill them by exposing them directly to radiation. Mm. Uh, by the end of the classic series, um, they're being killed by Ace with a slingshot and gold coins. So there is, there is a, there is a, when it comes to these villains, especially when they're this powerful. There is an amount of the trope of badass decay, and mm. you know because you're gonna ha you have to make the wins believable. And I forgot because the Borg are very chatty, um, and a bit and become more and more sort of have more and more personality as the show progresses. So they are they're really creepy and yeah. unsettling in this episode it feels like they went out of their way to go what is quite alienating what's quite mm. quite different with it all and the, the cube the fact that they have people roaming around their ship and they don't care no they're they're busy doing other things they're you know optimizing their their strategy and their builds to go it doesn't matter you've got three people running around we can just do this and uh, and just, you know, repair and chase down and assimilate everyone. We don't really see the assimilation here. Um, I, I think the assimilation is something that they kind of, like, it's one of those things, I think it's from Best of Both Worlds, when hmm. Picard gets turned to Locutus, that assimilation becomes a thing. So it, it's one of those, like, we're applying what we're going to know to what is later what is the you know what is to yeah so I, I don't know if that was originally going to be part of the plan for the borg or it's just something they made a story decision about and that became one of the big factors but like the borg like the borg baby in the drawer oh. is 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 a properly unsettling image the moment cuz i i take notes while doing all this so i have subtitles on and i just you know looking up and just seeing baby crying 
was like, oh no, oh. like out loud. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh no, oh that's horrid. Because like, yeah, it's it's just it's really interesting and really jarring. And um, yeah, we def like. I think when I messaged you uh, kind of before about this, I was saying about oh Voyager kind of you know defanging them a little, and I don't know whether that will necessarily be the case, but it you know oh it's Picard's nemesis, these guys, that kind I, of thing. I I think the defanging starts in TN, like pretty much starts around about TNG. When, you know, after Best of Both Worlds. And then just, I think Voyager just overuses them. Yeah. Which is like, which, you know, is the downside of having like a good enemy is that the show then has to get kind of just, they get weakened. Like, well, like yeah, the, they can't like, be this all powerful thing no. every single time they show up, if they show up. It, it's so like, it's, it's the great paradox of the Daleks. They are the mo- they are the deadliest in you know all conquering race of inhuman killers in the universe. Like they are, they are a power like on level with the Time Lords. Yeah, but they get blown up. They get defeated by John Pertwee like every like once or twice a year. Oh, yeah. Our respect to John Pertwee though. Of course. Um. Yeah. I mean it's. It's fascinating seeing them in this way and this incredible sense of existential threat. Like space, as as we've seen watching these episodes, space is big and fucking weird. It's not this lovely formalized everything fits in nice little boxes in Star Trek. But I, I, from like watching like the first, uh, these two early seasons of TNG, mm. I feel they're a lot weirder and stranger than the show becomes. Like, that's one of the reasons why I really like watching season one of TNG, despite the imperfections, almost because of the imperfections, because you have a much less polished show and universe. And so it does go into these strange places, like having the guy from Fleetwood Mac play a fish alien, or just any of the weird stuff and like, season one or two like it's it feels like space is scary yeah i i do wonder if there's an amount of like bowman and braga exercise so much control by voyager and enterprise that it feels like there are so many kind of you cannot do x you have to do x but it it means writers can't go just balls out weird with it and Um, and then of course not as much and then, of course, you have to deal with, like, 90s TV standards in practice. Mm. You're, you're going to be hampered again. Then you're making a show which you want to, which you want to advertise to children, which you want to have market to children. And so you're going to have to tone it down again. And then so you just kind of, you just slowly chip away at the parts which, you know, you, you chip away at those hard, rough edges to make it a bit more softer. Maybe. Like, I do wonder sometimes if some of those restrictions, like, I'm definitely not calling for a return to, like, the Hayes Code or the Comets Code Authority or anything, but sometimes you go, this is something primarily intended for a young audience, like a bunch of kids or anything like that. 
and the like the horror of the Borg. If it like where I'm at in my daily reading of X Men comics, I'm about three four months after the Comic Code Authority is removed. And there's a kind of ugly adolescence that immediately <laughs> sprung up. Uh, kind of, hey, yeah, guess what? This new X-Man is a sex worker. Oh, my God, we're going to blow up all of X-Force in the first issue. So some of these things are better ideas than others. But there's a definite kind of, oh, we can, you know, oh, I can stay up as long as I want. And I can even say a swear kind of attitude to it, which... Uh, having to make this, having to make Hugh Who work for all ages, doesn't make it any less disturbing. I, I, this one I think works like all ages. I think like the most unsettled after the, the board. Hmm. I think the most unsettling part is Picard essentially just begging to Q, help us. Yeah, we can't. You know, we can't. Like it's. It's a real. It's like it's a really strong ending, and I like. I think it's one of Stewart's like best, like slight, like slight best performances that I think we've seen in the show so far. And it's not. It's not a heroic monologue. It's not this moment of. It's not a like a a speech of gravitas. It's a very refined and cultured man who looks like he's about to snap yeah it's like q is a capering trickster you know john delancey hams it up beautifully in an incredibly tense episode he is just draping himself on the set and i like to imagine that john delancey just did that and they're like let's film around it you know fine i'll we'll let you do this I, I, just I, I, caress for weird side paneling Stupid, stupid! It's it's like he's wearing nothing at all, nothing <laughs> at all, nothing at all. Ugh, stupid, sexy Q. <laughs> oh, dear. but yeah, it's. I like that it isn't like sometimes there just isn't a win, and no. in this case, Picard having to go the best thing to do to save the crew. You know, we've lost eighteen people just like that, just incredibly quickly to make a point. That's horrible. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, at that point, you have to go, yeah, there, there's bigger shit out here than me. And yeah. us. The Federation isn't the big dog of anything, you know. Fine. Let's, you know, yeah, we couldn't do this without you. Um, yeah, sadly, that's that's just how it had to be in this time. And it's, yeah. it's incredible that this AQ episode ended up being... You know the the episode that introduced the Borg, the the kind of first big, well, sorry, the final big nemesis of Jean Luc Picard through first like Best of Both Worlds, First Contact, and then every single season of Picard telling us, "Hey, did you like First Contact?" Um, it's odd that these people who have no like in their first appearance, there is no sign that these will be the final boss of Jean-Luc Picard, but there we it, are. It, it's um, it's um, serendipity. Like, the Dalek, like, for better or worse, the Daleks put Doctor Who on the map when, like, the, the, silly, the silly bug robots weren't expected to catch on. Yeah. 
Like, it was just, like, their design and just how they were just cottoned on oh, there's to, something... to the audiences. But, you know, it, in a way which any attempt Doctor Who has made to repeat the success of the Daleks has failed. Because no one gives a shit about the quarks. No, there's something uniquely fun and weird and stand out about the Dalek appearance, similar to the Cybermen in that respect. There's something, you know, there's been a lot of variants of the Cybermen over the years, but it still goes back to the weird handlebars on the head, tinfoil body kind of yeah. look. Although them. now you can really play up the body horror, which they can only ever refer to, like, in, in the original show, I think I, since we've been doing this episode, I've been thinking which is better using the basic same concept, either the Cybermen or the Borg. Mm. I think the Borg are more inti- are more intimidating as an actual force. Yeah, the Cybermen do kind of are uh, terrify me on existential level because what they do is essentially take you cut you up, cut you apart, like, physically and in your brain, and make you into an emotionless zombie, essentially. Mm. It's just that they end up being easy to kill with gold coins. Yeah. There's... And as, as there... we see with Star Trek, when you get people who have been assimilated and then brought back, it then, it's again much less terrifying like you know i think there's i think there's an episode of voyager when janeway balana and tuvok let themselves be assimilated and they're fine <laughs> two episodes later where whereas like with the cybermen once you've been turned into a cyberman there's no going back because there isn't enough left of you to put in a shopping bag yeah, there is something physically more gruesome. Like, both take you apart in different ways. It's just Cybermen feel more thorough in the we are taking all of these bits and putting them in a thing. And that's it. You are just for components rather than you're still mostly a person, but we're putting a wibbly arm on you and a thing yeah. on your eye and all that. You know, and and we do get a lot of the PTSD that Picard and Seven both have. Yeah, but not. I don't know. There is something for a children's show for children. Uh, something almost physically more gruesome about the Cyberman conversion. Yeah. Um. Okay. So where does this get assimilated on the big list? Oh God, yes, our big list. This is a list of every star trek show and film or at least it will be one day for now it is 48 entries um going from the number one spot which is still emissary for deep space nine all the way to i see about the mid spot which is data law for tng where uh data meets his shitbag brother and then finally down to the bottom in spot number 48, we have Enterprise's Future Tense, which actually tries to do a bit of a Doctor Who reference and doesn't quite stick the landing. <sighs> right. Okay, so I'm going to start us out strong here. Mm-hmm. In the top 10 or in the top 20? 
Ooh, see, my my pondering finger is going over spot 13 and elementary dear data for going, that was fun. It wasn't entirely relevant to, you know, the overall Star Trek history. Like, this, this feels important as well as being a big Borg and Q episode. Like, I, I think the Borg really, you know, kind of, catch on in the public in the public consciousness mm. of as part of star trek like on a par with the klingons oh they were so merchandisable back when i was in a comic shop you know everyone loved the cube and you know even with a generic borg action figure that would still get people all excited so you're saying 13 i mean that's Maybe around that kind of thing. Like, what else have we got there? We got the cage. The cage at twelve. We have I... um, a mock time at eleven. See, a mock time again, very iconic. Above it, we've got preemptive strike, where um, which we did last week, which is incredibly directed and an amazing character piece for Michelle Forbes and Patrick Stewart. It's that thing of I think the quality of preemptive strike is higher, but does that make it better in the list? Because yeah, that's that's where we break into the top ten. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I definitely think Q Who is better than preemptive than preemptive strike. Okay, like preemptive strike is good, but I feel. It gets a little bit rushed, whereas Q Who is this incredibly punchy, like forty-three minutes. God, it does and so tells, much. It tells a complete story, you know. It tells a complete story, and then leaves it off with a really awesome, high, like just a, a nice point. Well, it leaves things for other people to pick up. Yeah, ideally in two seasons' time, when about two years of of character time has passed and the Borg show up again. Oh, so there's such a, there's such a great way that Patrick Stewart says the Borg. Mm. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, about to meet far, the Borg. As far as importance goes, then what about around, you know, a couple of spots up, we have the motion picture, um, which also has a massive existential threat. Hmm. You know, and again, yeah. that's a classic. But the motion picture has um, McCoy's uh, disco beard. Oh, and that outfit. Oh, that outfit. Um, so I, I think motion picture, like, you're, oh God, you asked me to compare, like, to number nine on the list is my personal favorite episode of Star Trek mm. ever, which is The Conscience of the King. And, oh, I, I, I might have to say that this is better than Conscience of the King, and that's difficult for me. That's difficult for me to say because I love Conscience of the King. Yeah. Um, but like this, this is fantastic hmm. Star Trek. It's fantastic science. You know, it's fantastic science fiction. It's weird. It pushes like the boundaries, and it's just unsettling. Um, shout out to Ron Jones for some fantastic music for this episode. There is some really good synth. 
noodling here. Okay, I, w- I was purposefully skipping over Conscience of the King, knowing that that was going to be a thing that hurt. I, much like it hurt Picard to beg Q to be saved, I am I am going to beg to have Q who beats the Conscience of the King on the big list. Okay. You do you want me to say it? I need you? Sorry, <laughs> hang on. No, wait. Okay, you want me to do? You want me to do my Patrick Stewart? I need Q who. Oh God! <coughs> Terrible. 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 Okay. Um. So, better or worse than the motion picture? Oh. Oh God. Yeah. You can tell this is a tricky one, where a lot of the time we can operate mostly on vibes with with like, these, and it's like motion, oh. the motion picture is all vibes. Mm. And I I love its vibes. Yeah. Um. I am. I'm gonna have to say. Um. Worse than the motion picture, because widescreen sense of wonder. Oh. Kind of beats out, even though there is some fantastic sense of like. The shot where you have Riker, Picard, and Worf walking along the corridor, and it just zooms out to see like the the units and the pods just replicated. On mass, up on shelf after shelf after shelf inside the ball cube. Oh, just for the pedants, it's Riker, Data, and Worf. But who yes, do I say? Picard. Oh, that's oh well. Yeah, who? Picard doesn't get him, doesn't go in there. Like as curious as he is, he has people for that. Well, that that's that's why he that's why you have a Riker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so, Picard, so so Patrick Stewart doesn't have to go on location filming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, location being probably another soundstage, but it's all forever there, I assume. Okay, so yeah, that feels like a good place for it. That is the new number nine, then. Although I will have to give one, like, little knock. When when, um, Riker is having uh, Resley and Data do the search, Mm. and then it's like, cut a shot of the ship, and they, you have uh, Riker saying it's been six hours in the log. Then it cuts back, and it looks like Crusher and Wesley and, and Data have just have not moved. It looks like no time has passed. It, it's just like you know, you, you can have had like Crusher like have a sandwich, yeah, or or just he's having a walk around because he's been sitting in the chair for like six hours, so he needs to stretch his bloody legs. <laughs> oh, there you would need that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Where I've talk- become a big fan of, of a standing desk lately. And uh yeah, seeing all those units and such in um on the Enterprise. So yeah, okay. I'm beginning to feel it finally. After going, why why do they all just stand and wander around? Actually it's quite nice. It's nice. It's, yeah. it's ergonomic. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, on that note, that is Q Who done. So, what do we have next for our, our Borg episode? Borg? Smorgasbord? Smorgasbord. Anyway, uh, yeah, without further ado, um, yeah, what's our next Borg episode? 
we have Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 2, titled Drone, teleplay by Brian Fuller, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski, and story by Brian Fuller and Harry Doc Kluwer, and directed by Les Landau. UK and US number one hits. Um, for the UK, it was Girlfriend by Billa Piper. Unexpected um, Doctor Who connection here. And it says in brackets, my anecdote about Mad Andy. I don't have an anecdote about Mad Andy, so I'm no, guessing that's all you. That is, that is. I used to work with someone at the comic <laughs> shop called, well, called Andrew, but he was generally Mad Andy. Okay. He, he was our Magic the Gathering guy. Was he Mad Andy to his face? Only if you were in a bad mood with him. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. He treated the magic singles like they were a museum and was offended if you sold any. And oh, okay. um, yeah, one day he came into the, the part of the shop I was working at and said, I had a dream about you. And so, oh, God. Wait, about me? About me. Oh, that makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, it does a bit. And basically about how I'd been going on about Bewitched in his dream. And he got it in his head that I was obsessed with Bewitched, which then went into also obsessed with Billy and any of those kind of pop acts. And I realized I'd not heard any, but it's like, okay, that's fine, I guess. And it just wouldn't stop until I left. Uh, years uh, you, later. I, I don't know. I, I think he should. He got it wrong because you're, you're clearly obsessed with I Dream of Genie. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I admit when I saw the name Girlfriend, my mind just went to the Avril Lavigne song because I cannot remember this one at all. Um, like, yeah, it was. It's fine. Like, 90, like 90s, 90s pop. It's like late. Then. Yeah, then after that, the US number one was One Week by Bare Naked Ladies, which might be a first on our show to have an episode, to have a song which is parodied by Weird Al. I'm shocked we've made it this far. I know. And even, you know what's even better? Hmm? No Ed Sheeran. True, true. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, One Week. Like I like one week. It's it's one of those tracks from that era that I will uh, gleefully go back to. And while I I will definitely play it on Rock Band, um, my partner Emma is one of the few people that can do it on vocals on Rock Band. Ooh. yeah, that takes some skill. I, I admit, like I hear the song and like it's uh it's like the the uh, American Pie. I can uh, only hear I can only hear the Weird Al version. Where it, it's called Jerry Springer, and it's all about Jerry Springer. Rest in peace, you, uh, you exploitative, weird, weird you, you, you exploitative bastard. Yeah. Who at least is won over by one over on Donald Trump by attempting to pay for a sex worker by check. <laughs> okay, good. And on that note, I believe you're the one providing the recap this time. I so am. When you're ready um engage we open in we open with seven of nine trying to smile in a mirror and she's not really getting it uh the doctor walks in he it, they are going on a mission 
to explore in Nebula, and the Doctor's really happy about it because he recently got his um his mobile emitter, which means that uh, Robert Picardo gets to go on other sets, and so he's he wants it. He wants to make it like he's got a nice picnic. He's got a thermos. He's got a he's got a camera, and Seven of Nines just nope. We're we're just here to do the job. Uh, we're we're here to just go out and look at that nebula. Uh, Paris, Bellana, Seven, and the Doctor fly out in a shuttle and leave some uh, some foreshadowing for building a Delta flyer, which will become a podcast in a couple of decades' time, hosted by Tom Paris and um, Perpetual Ensign Harry Kim. Aww. The nebula starts going wibbly. And so they have to get beamed out of the crappy shuttle, and they do. But the Doctor's hollow emitter is damaged in cross-transport, and the Doctor pleads for Balana to fix it. Balana immediately just sticks it on a coffee table and plans to forget about it. And then the mobile emitter starts growing tentacles and starts, starts interacting with the ship's technology. Turns out, due to a, due to a mistake in the transporter... Um, some of Seven's nanomachines and the Doctor's hollow emitter got Jeff Goldblumed in the transport process, and now the mobile emitter has Borg bits, and so it's actually building itself a little Borg nook. Um, a random a random officer comes in. He gets um, hit by Borg tubes and gets some of his DNA taken. So the little Borg nook is now growing a CG Borg baby, which looked like, um, Charlie, you're a 90s comics fan. Yeah. Do you remember, like, the hologram little cards they had on some of the Marvel comics back in the day? Like, especially, I think, um... Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions, Hell, yeah. Yeah. Did, it, did that remind, like, the, the little CG Borg baby in the tube remind you of uh, one of those 90s hologram cards? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I had tons of the Batman Forever ones. As well, for some reason. Um, so yeah, uh, it's growing a Borg, but there's a problem. You see, the Doctor's mobile emitter is based on 29th century technology tech. Long story, to TLDR, it's a previous episode. So this is actually not only just going to be a regular Borg, it's going to be a 29th century Borg, which could be uh, good, could be bad. The Borg baby grows exponentially fast, and... Um, in a couple of hours, it pops out an adult future Borg um, who tries to make contact with the Collective, but there is no Collective, there's just Seven. Um, it's it's curious, and it wants... it. It's like uh, Johnny Five from Short Circuit. It wants input. It wants to assimilate data. That's data, the um, collection information, not data, the, the robot. Yeah, that'll be later in first contact. That'll be later, or earlier in that'll be earlier in first contact. Oh wow! Yeah, because yeah, so seven you know, starts like teaching the, the Borg, the Borg drone, who chooses name one because there's only one of him to interact with the ship, and the the crew kind of like the crew kind of like him. The Doctor's kind of mad because um his mobile emitter is now kind of in the Borg's brain. And it's part of his Borg makeup, so he can't take it out unless something horrible happens to the drone, which is never going to happen at all. And yeah, um, the Borg, the, the drone one, keeps asking about the Collective. He wants to know more about the Collective. And everyone's kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. We, mm -mm. 
Um, maybe when you go ask your mother, go yeah. ask your mother. Yeah. Um, he's even getting on well with Neelix. That's that takes some doing. <laughs> and yeah, everything seems to be going well. They're 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 still researching the nebula, so they're not moving. And during a hybrid, during a um a moment when one goes to regenerate, um, he starts setting off a Borg signal. Which alerts a nearby Borg sphere because they have spheres now. Yeah, sphere like flies over to kind of make to kind of get this future Borg, and um, everyone you know everyone's like, oh no, okay, the Borg are coming. Well, time to teach one about the Borg birds and the Borg bees. Oh, alas, time is up. Oh great, I'm gonna be assimilated. Yeah. Unless yeah. I do this in three minutes. Well, yeah. Let's see. So, let's begin. So they start showing um one all the the a, a quick Borg PowerPoint presentation, and the one is like, man, Borg kind of suck. I don't want to get us. I don't want to get assimilated and lose my individuality. Um. So um, what I'll do is I'll upgrade um. I'll upgrade your your weapons and shields with 29th century technology. This is definitely not a a temporal violation of the Prime Directive. No. No. Um, but unfortunately, um, it's like when I try to run an advanced game on my old uh, PC. Or when we try to have Zencaster work on Charlie's PC. It's just like, no, no, the technology dis uh, is too different from each other. It's going to keep crashing. And so one goes, okay, by the way, you remember when I said earlier, I have a personal interior, um, in a personal transporter. Well, transport away babies. And he teleports onto the Borg sphere, finds a nearby terminal, plugs himself in and starts blowing up the sphere from the inside. Well, um, the Borg sphere goes straight into Nebula and is crushed by the gravitational forces. Um, he is he survives because he had a series of force fields to protect himself. But while his metal Borg bits are fine, his organic human fleshy bits are not, and he chooses to die because he is too dangerous to be around. Because the Borg are aware that there's a 29th century Borg running around. Oh, and they're just They'll love that. And they'll keep hounding Voyager to get him. So while the Doctor and Seven plead to try and help him, uh, one puts up another force field so they can't save him. And he dies. It's much to um, Seven's distress. And the episode ends as it begins, with Seven looking in a mirror, and she's not smiling. Ah. Uh... Charlie, I have a question for you. Oh, just one sec. That's two minutes and 18 seconds. Oh, so close. So close. All right. Charlie, okay. my question is this. Hmm. Did you ever think in your life you would ever watch an episode of Star Trek Voyager when you're thinking, I might cry? Because this, this, this almost did it. It was a good one. Like... Like the end when, like when, when um seven is pleading with one to stay alive because um it's hurting her, 
and he says you will adapt i'm like my cry i oh. might that's that's a that's like wow oh, that's a rough one that's oh. i'm like wow a genuine emotional moment in star trek voyager not I, even um... not even tuvix gave me that Tuvix, Tuvix was all right, but yeah, this one, um, I know Brian Fuller in interviews has talked about the difficulties he had with some of the higher ups in Voyager that he needed, that there was almost too much humanity. Like he needed to dial a bit of that down Yeah, and was, you know, busily working on what would end up being the wonderful show Dead Like Me which would be my first experience of him not doing a Star Trek. And yeah, you can tell this is someone with someone who's still going, fuck it. Let's, let's make it emotional. Now I personally didn't, I've never seen this one before. And I, I saw on, I think IMDB or memory alpha, the original intent was for this to be a kind of future Terminator style borg episode so i came into it expecting that and got something entirely different no no well you kind of got terminator 2 like if you think about it you kind of have you have hit you have the same arc of um one has the same sort of arc of of the t800 in t2 another i i can't help think um i can't help thinking when it comes to terminator 2 i can't help think of the line from the first episode of spaced you want emotional, I can be emotional. Jesus, I cry like a kid at the end of Terminator 2 with the, the hand and the, oh, and the, the thumb. Yeah, the thumb. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> I know now why you cry, but it is something I cannot do. Oh, Arnold. Oh, yeah, dear. Arnold. Arnold. Right like... in the heart. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of got Frankenstein vibes, mm. especially from one, especially with how awkward the manner his mannerisms are well he was definitely an alien presence like while he was a kid it was like oh it's like training a training a toddler or a small child but one that could kill everyone here you know people dealt dealt with him with a healthy amount of fear but also still let him in enough that he felt for seven and felt for this crew and for seven who like i remember at the start of this episode i was like oh my god of course like she wasn't in security or anything but as someone that came from a a violent enemy to be just into star charts and shit it was like oh that's quite nice you know you you tend to get join our party you'll be good at fighting not join our party you'll be good at space maps. She's kind of the Spock. Kind she, of. She felt very, like I've, like I've not watched a lot of Voyager since I stopped watching Voyager when about season four. Oh. And like out, out of later episodes of Voyager, I think I've only seen Bride of Chaotica because that's the black and white Flash Gordon pastiche where, um, where Kate Mulgrew basically kind of drags it up as uh, Chaotica. And it's an, <laughs> it's another Brian Fuller joint. Of course. But like, yeah, I kind of got shades of uh, Boris Karloff as the creature. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, people don't talk about one so much as far as these kind of things, you know, compared to like Lau 
or um or, or hugh or hugh yeah and it's it's an interesting one because he is with us for a very short amount of time at the start of this looking in the seeing seven looking in the mirror and practicing smiling did bring me distressing memories of being younger and having that exact same experience i don't know if you're someone that has also done that kind of you know i'm, I'm trying to smile and not look weird I'm, I'm trying to smile and not look like like arnold in terminator 2 when he tries to smile yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. you know as a very awkward youth and a, a now very awkward middle-aged man um yeah it, yeah. it felt distressingly relatable it, it's kind of like why I liked where I like wearing face masks uh, when out in the world, especially in customer service, because I don't have the smile. I I could be blowing your raspberry. I could be mouthing "fuck you" under my mask, and you're not gonna know. And it's great. Nice. So yeah, it's it's a definitely a good Voyager. It felt um, I don't know. It was an odd one time wise. It it does feel it does feel rushed. Yeah. Because it's it it gives us like thirty minutes getting getting to know one. And then by the time you get to know him, it's like, well gotta kill you off. Yeah. You kind of the problem is being the the sort of continuity distor like equilibrium distortion equilibrium sort of style of of these sort of shows you know that he has to go yeah um and, and you just don't know how and it, as long it, as it's done well that's fine and i think this was done well yeah like this is definitely not like the doctor the doctor's daughter the, um the episode of doctor who from like uh the fourth season with with Catherine tate when the doctor gets a cloned daughter um, played by an actress who is going to marry David Tennant in a few years, and is actually the daughter of the Fifth Doctor. And the moment the Doctor opens up and starts accepting her, you know she's toast. She's dog meat. Yeah. She's not. She's not going with him in the TARDIS. And like, yeah, it all depends on how you execute. And I think this executed it well because his death. Isn't for set isn't primarily centered around Seven's pain. Um, he makes like his death is he makes a choice yeah. to sacrifice himself for the ship. Yeah, and for the for greater the, good. For the greater good. Yeah, and it's sad that um, it's sad that he's doing this, and he knows that it's going to be sad for uh, for Seven. But yeah, he learns to empathize enough and to be enough of a person. Mm. to to go yeah fuck i have to die for all these people and like, i'll do it too like you will adapt that's a mm. that's a that's a kill that's a oh it's a beautiful a line that's, a, that's an amazing bit of like single line of like single line of dialogue for a show like for this era of trek which i kind of just sort of mentally right off as going yeah with the exception of ds9 there are like no emotions being had they're basically action figures with like plastic wifunts molded into their, into their beings it's nice when i'm like oh right these characters can be human mm. they can almost reach the emotional heights of babylon 5 or blake 7 i'm just gonna let that one fly <laughs> um yeah so on that note um moving along quickly um on our list 
where do you reckon this goes? I'm I'm looking at Tuvix, and I, this is like Tuvix has some good emotional moments despite Tuvix. Um, but I think this is probably better. This is this is definitely better. Than t- okay, I I like how under Tuvix, which is number seventeen, uh, the Voyager episode Meld is at number eighteen, and in the description of what it's about is a line from Hannibal, also by Brian Fuller. Oh, gotta love a bit of Hannibal. I need to. I need to. I need to rewatch Hannibal. I need to rewatch. Well, yeah. But I need to rewatch the first two seasons and finish the final season. Mm. Oh, it's a it's a wonderful season. Um, I I'm looking at number. Okay, I'm looking at elementary deer data. Oh, okay. Like in episodes of the show where it try it make it creates a character and then tries to make us care enough about the character that its plight um can tug your heartstrings at the end i think this might be better than elementary did data while not as fun i feel it's the better episode yeah god i swear if it gave us a few more minutes to go Oh God, what's going on with Moriarty? Actually, you know, you thought this was Moriarty's a, a dark, evil mastermind, but he's an artificial intelligence that has become aware and does not want to die when you when you hit, you know, exit game. Um, that could have been a lot more fun than it was. Before we um, before we quickly put this in the list, I want to highlight the scene with um, Harry Kim and Chakotay, where mm. it turns out Kim's been a uh, like leading the night shift and um apparently he's good at it and apparently he makes the crew he makes them call him captain kim oh. which is i don't know i found that funny i've oh, oh I've, it feels like a lower decks character behavior i know i don't know i've 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 been that guy at, at when i worked at um starbucks um i've been that guy i'm the guy who has um when he's gone on break, have very loudly said, I'm going on my lunch until I return the espresso machines in charge. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'd, I'd say I, I can't relate, but when I used to run the Brighton NaNoWriMo lot, I did have a crown made. So, you know, we all get like that occasionally. Yeah. Like it's, it's fun. And then, then you go, um, then you have Chakotay say, okay, Captain, back to me an ensign. And that just feels like he knows. Chakotay yeah. knows. Chakotay knows that Harry's not ever getting promoted. Ever. Especially now. <laughs> <laughs> like, doubly now. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I do wonder if at any point, um, if the wrong messages are taken from Picard Season 3, and the future of the, the Star Trek universe is just references back to old stuff. If someone decides to try and fix that by having like Admiral Kim or something. Oh god, no, no! It, I wanted to be Ensign King. I I want him to be the old. I want him to be the oldest Ensign in Starfleet. Uh, no, maybe have him have kids, but they are now the endless <laughs> Ensign. Like it's been no, passed down. No, no, like, he he's, has, he retired as an Ensign. No, no, and... he has he has kids, and the kids are admirals at his age when he was still an Ensign. <laughs> He was just slumming it, you know, partying with Paris, who didn't help with any of no. that. No, don't don't hang out with the Tom Paris of the group. 
Um, but yeah, so elementary deer data, better than that. Are we yep. looking at, you know, we've got a couple of big, big ticket <sighs> items with the cage and a mock time here. Yeah, I, I, I think... I, I... I, I think I think I, elementary is our ceiling here. Yeah. And honestly for Voyager that's that's still impressive. It is. It is. We have no better Voyager episode currently. No, and the current best episode of Voyager is uh Tuvix at number seventeen. <laughs> I I shouldn't laugh because I did this. <laughs> but um yeah, yeah, that says something. Okay, so that puts it at the new number 14 on the list. Um, number 14. For drone. Yeah, we need some kind of chart show sort of voice doing that. Uh, I'd say that. I would be the person to add it. I might add some echo. Number, number 14, 14 is, is drone. drone. There. Okay, yeah. that's a, a fun thing for future Charlie. For our third episode of the night we have a surprise appearance of the borg in star trek prodigy yes the star trek cgi show for kids is it going to be as disturbing as q who we'll see this one it's season one episode 12 titled let sleeping borg lie it aired on the 3rd of november 2022 it was written by Deandra Pendleton Thompson, directed by Olga Olanova and Sung Shen. The UK and US number one hits. Oh, for something, for a modern episode, ones I already knew, which is shocking. Uh, first of all, for the UK, it was Antihero by Taylor Swift, who, you know, yeah, she's good. Yeah. Like, I like her. Know, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not a. I, I'm not a closet Swifty, but like, yeah, like she's good. She deserves, like, her songs are good. Yeah, I'm not like yeah. one of her weird, terrifying horde. But if you anger, it's it's like Left for Dead. Um, Man, yeah, your, she's the good. eternal the eternal question: Who is the worst kind of rabid fanboy, Swifty, or the people on on Twitter who are still annoyed about Zeb Wells as Spider Man? Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say about Last Jedi. Oh, I know. I think no. they win. <laughs> I, I, I know better to never mention Last Jedi on anything electronic and digital because oh, they'll, they're going they'll to come find for me. You. The algorithm will find us. Oh no! Oh no! What? If, what if this is how we get an audience by mentioning Last Jedi and we get a million people people subscribing and following us just to go? I'm um, actually the Last Jedi is the worst film I've ever seen. You know what? If the last Jedi, is, if the last Jedi is the worst one we ever seen, uh, you're lucky. Yeah, because I have seen some shit. Oh God. Anyway, so yeah. Anyway, that's the UK one. The US number one hit was "Unholy" by Sam Smith and Kim Petras. Uh, a fascinating number one hit for being um, done by a non-binary and uh, trans like a uh, couple of performers. Ultimately. I don't give a shit about Sam Smith's music. I, I, I just, I've never, like, it's a bit dirty. And then this time they're trying to go, ooh, I'm a bit saucy here. And it, it never quite lands. Like, oh, no, nice but try, but. It's, it's better than Ed Sheeran, 
but yeah. still, yeah. Yeah. Charlie, um, are, we, are we old? Yeah. Yeah, we're old. Yeah, we're old. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, thanks for that. Just No problem. Bring me right down there. Anyway, On that you, note. You've um, got five minutes. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's uh get your get your energy up so because you've got five minutes to recount twenty five minutes of television. Can you <laughs> can he do it? No. Probably not. No. 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 This is me. Anyway, he he's still not beating my record for that one discovery episode where I did it in like with a minute and a half to spare. One day, one day, That's I'm all. coming for that record. <laughs> Do it. I, I, I want you to. I okay. want to. I want to see you try. And with that in mind, engage. So, uh, we've missed a lot. So previously, the Protoss Star has been sabotaged. There's some kind of weapon that's going to destroy anything Starfleet shaped that gets near it. And our gang of kids and hologram Janeway are currently in there hoping to meet up with Starfleet. Oh dear, this is apparently the plan of uh, John Noble from Fringe, the Diviner, who's from the future and hates that Starfleet made first contact with his people for some reason. We see all of this in a hologram simulation on the Protostar. Jankampog, who is still the best, wants to find this weapon and gets everyone involved with the search. They rip up everything, but it's Gwyn, the Diviner's daughter, who finds a small note on the bridge saying it's down here, opens it up and finds a subdeck that no one knew was there. And the weapon, it looks kind of like a weird spiky wheel of death. It protects itself from phasers. It looks like no a mass effect. It looks like a Mass Effect thing. There's a Pokemon that looks like this when it's all curled up, and I can't remember its name. I might add it in post. Anyway, Starfleet would know, possibly, but of course the ship can't go near them without, you know, them blowing up. But good news, there's a dormant Borg cube nearby, and they'll probably have knowledge the group can steal to help with the weapon. That's not a terrible idea, right? (laughs) Ah, this must be um, a new definition of the word good, that I've been previously too unaware of. Yeah, Hologram Janeway feels that as well. She's not a fan. She's already dealt with the Borg and suggests maybe don't do this and is not listened to. Elsewhere, we get real Janeway, who's on another ship looking for the Protostar. She's got a fun trill assistant and has had to give up coffee. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. That's so sad. Anyway, Jason Alexander is there as a doctor and is kind of delightful. And the Diviner is mumbling about rescuing his daughter while playing at being unconscious. We'll we'll probably get to them in some other episode. Back to our crew and Jank and Pog, who is loving being in a Borg cube. There's so much stuff to wander around and play with. There are sleeping Borg everywhere, paralyzed after what I assume are the events of the Voyager finale, which I saw when it aired, but can't remember because it's been forever since that happened. The group need to find the Vinculum, a word I only know because of Vampire the Masquerade, and they need to plug someone into it. Zero offers because they were part of a collective before and should be all right with it. This proves to go a bit wrong. Uh, Zero floats in like virtual space, chatting with the Borg who are aware of Medusans and unaffected by seeing their true form, which is kind of neat. Zero might not have a body, but they can still get assimilated into the collective, which is not great. Um, meanwhile, Hologram Janeway sees that the Protostar is being scanned and the gang need to get Zero and get out of there. 
bit of a problem though. Zero don't live here anymore. The weird sphere is back in all Borgy, and there's a Rhino Man Borg. What a world we live in. That's awesome. Um, like in Q-Who, the phasers work once and then they're useless. But luckily, this this ragtag crew of kid-friendly, like um like space dwellers, like space, whatever. Space teens. Yeah, space teens uh have their own unique weapons like Jank and Pog with a flamethrower and Gwyn with knives and um, Rock Talk with Charlie, fists. Qu- quick question. Uh-oh. Uh this ragtag group of of teen of space of strange space teens. Are they the strangest teens of all time? Alas, no, no, <laughs> not these ones. Um, they're, not, they're not the X Men, exactly. So yeah, they end up wreck, wrecking a bridge, and yeah, they get captured mostly. One minute, which is a bit bad. Um, the Borg are aware of this weapon, and they call it the Living Construct, and they don't care for it. So their solution is assimilate the Protostar, assimilate the crew, then deal with the weapon. The crew are not happy about this. Uh, Gwyn talks Zero out of being assimilated, and thanks for Power of Heart, it works. Uh, also, not having a body also probably helps. Uh, there is a resistance is not futile. Um, so, yeah, and the other drones are shut down, at least for now. Uh, Zero's aware that the weapon can't be turned off. They can't go to Starfleet. And seeing a, a distress call nearby, they decide at least they can do some real good, even while they can't do this yet. Um, yeah, and that's about it, apart from the real Janeway, who is who finds the wreck of the Starbase that the Protostar destroyed. Uh, we'll see that in a future episode, I guess. Oh! Oh! Ha! I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something which you would hate. Go on. If you had just said, if you had left it at they go off to do a, they go off to do a Starfleet, which they do, they, they leave. Do. Doing it, they Good do. Kids. Yeah. If you had stopped then, mm-hmm. you would have been ten seconds off your time. Oh. you would have done it in five minutes. But like <laughs> you, you hit the alarm went off just a second. Before you said the end. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll take that. I'll like, take that. You, you get a win. Like oh. you're get you're getting there. Wow. But, <laughs> so one second over. Okay. One second over. That's right. Um, Miles. Charlie. They've got a rhino man. They have, and it's not a jadoon. Like. It it looks kind of like Marvel Comics' Spider-Man's the Rhino, but but a Borg. There's a Rhino Borg. Like, what is this? Is that a thing? I I guess so. Like in the credits, it just says Rhino Borg. So I'm assuming it's its own species and not something that's pre-established. Yeah. Or are we going to see like some 1960s makeup with a Rhino man in it? Oh man, if only. Oh, I desperately hope so. So I, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, if we did like a casual Trek themed Halloween costumes each, um, what is your costume and why is it Jank and Pog? I mean, because Jank and Pog's the best. <laughs> he's so much fun. Like uh, he's he's smart with technology and terrible at everything else. He's great. He's one of those people that you have to have. 
because the plot needs to continue and he will run around and push all of the buttons. He he is maximum Derek. He is. He is. Jason Manzoukas is delightful. And as someone that the more I see of this going, why are Tellarites one of the core founding Starfleet species when we never see them? And here we got one. Here we got and one. He's, uh, and he's great. He's a good one. Clearly the makeup. Yeah. Oh, God. Definitely. Yeah, the makeup. Definitely the makeup. But it's like Andorians where you get bits and pieces of them, but not much outside of Enterprise and the occasional kind of and, and lower decks we get a lot of them in, like we yeah, have well, a, that's a yeah. cartoon yeah um like um starfleet academy had a a lead character that was an andorian um back is that in the, the 90s the pc game no no the marvel comic um, oh okay back in the day gotcha i thought you meant like the starfleet academy the the pc sim which i've no. always wanted to but never played ah. yeah yeah no um so yeah, it's an interesting one, this, especially watching Prodigy out of sequence, because it's the episodes so far have been fairly self-contained, but still with very much an ongoing narrative. Yeah. Uh also the Borg are really creepy here. The the Borg are surprisingly like God. Like if um if this was an a kids' cartoon of my generation. No, no. I'd have loved that. No. Oh, it'd have been great, but like it would have been toned down. Yes, yeah, God, the kind of Bureau of Standards and Practices sort of things would have not looked fondly on this. Like, um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating seeing again, literally a kids show this time, and it gave me real Q Who vibes when they were wandering around and it was all off. Yeah, it 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 really is kind of boils it down to those core components of of what like make the Borg work, mm. which is akin to like the a zombie horde, which is yeah, they're not going to they're not going to rush you. They're just gonna over they're just gonna overwhelm you with sheer numbers. Yeah, they don't need to run. They don't need no. to rush. They don't need to fight. It's just they will they will win because they have the numbers and eventually you'll tire out yeah um the turnaround with zero and having them start off going oh yeah it's all right i used to be part of a hive mind so i'll, I'll be resistant to this to used to be part of a hive mind and this is going to be more of a relapse than anything else i was worrying like i don't know how they would have fixed it aside from the kind of power of heart sort of thing i need I kind of got the vibe, given like what we get inferred to in the flashback, mm. that um, for whatever reason, Zero had to like reveal himself to the crew uh, them. And, uh, and hurt them. And that I kind of got the feeling that he almost wanted to kind of be subsumed. What? Them. Them? Them. 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 Of course, they're them. Okay. That they wanted to be subsumed into a hive mind, so they could they wouldn't have to deal with the responsibility with feeling responsible and feeling the pain of yeah. having hurt their friends. Yeah, like that's again that's that's pretty strong for a kid show. Yeah, that kind of you're feeling pretty shit now. You've let some yeah, people down. You could it, just have this drink. 
it's, I know uh, you're trying not to. It's uh, like in, in Avatar, like when Aang burns Katara when he's trying firebending for the mm. first time, and then that screws him up on wanting to learn firebending for a good chunk of the, of the rest of the show. Yeah. God, I was going to ask for a moment, do you mean the blue... The blue alien one, or the uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the last, the the last air, the the last airbender in the U in the US, the Legend of Ang in the UK, because um, you and I, they have oh? different names. Well, think about it. When I if I say the word bender to you, yeah, I've what... never heard of it as that. I've only heard of it as Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay, I I think like I heard like when it was first being shown in Nickelodeon, it was because like you you know like the slang the slang term bender in a UK slang has a very different and more offensive meaning than it would yeah in the states, and they use the term and they use the term bender a lot. Yes. Yeah, that did, as someone who grew up in the 90s, where that was thrown around a lot. Amer uh, Ameri American uh, listeners, Urban Dictionary, we're not saying yeah, it on. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, it's um, it was an interesting episode. I, I'm curious about both the real Janeway and her crew, and yeah, um, yeah. I, I didn't think that I would get invested in, in this lot. Uh, when we I, just when we saw I, the first two, I want to go. I I might just go back and kind of watch the show properly in my own time. That said, the first thing the ad I got at the beginning of the episode was for Transformers Earth Spark, another Paramount um, CG kids cartoon, which I started and need to continue because it's it's a lot of fun. I've heard very good things from my uh, Mad Robot uh, colleague Matt Hardy, who is. But my my friend that's an authority on transformers wow so yeah if, I, he, I, if he's a massive fan of it then you know it's a good one i i'm just a raving incoherent when it comes to transformers and i'm fairly ambivalent i i loved it as a child my parents got a bunch of old ones from the sunday market and then would get high oh, trying man. to trying to change them when my brother and i were asleep and um oh man i missed I miss the Sunday market. Oh, it was very good. And then, yeah, when when the film was about to come out, the first Bay film, yeah, I bought the like a Generation One DVD. I watched an episode and a half and realized you can't go home again, and then got rid of it and didn't bother with the films. You see, the the best G one is the U like of like of our generation would have is the UK is like the Marvel tie in comic. Mm. Especially a lot of the UK stuff written by Simon Furman back in the day. Um, I think in terms of storytelling, Transformers has done better in comics than in cartoons. Like you have the stuff like Mortal Meets the Eye and Lost Light by James Roberts, which was amazing for a, a toy a toy comic. Um, I don't talk about the Bay films. No, like the Revenge of the Fallen might have been the angriest I've ever been watching a film. Like how I felt about the film, I think was how people felt about the Last Jedi. <laughs> See, they'll be after you now, not just me. Oh God, God yeah, fine, fine. Anyway, La we're... yeah, 
Um, we are yeah. drifting away from the point which this is a good episode, but we are finding ourselves talking about Transformers. We, it's it's instead. it's hard. It's hard to talk. Like the Borg stuff is great. It's good. It's well done. It's creepy. It's well animated. We really don't know these characters, so we might have to be on very uncasual about Prodigy and watch it because. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as that goes, it does put it at a difficult spot on the list because it's got a, it's got a bunch of things in its favour. It's still not very self-contained. And just by the merit of how, well, by the format of this, does mean any very not self-contained plots are going to suffer a bit, as we've seen with Discovery. Yeah. And as I'm sure we will see with Picard, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to some more Picard at some point um, after a stiff drink or two. But yeah, it's I guess it's that thing of, do we have a spot on the list of, it's fine, it's not really much of anything. Okay, uh, I, I think I've got a number. Mm-hmm. Well, and all I have to say is, Alamoraine! <laughs> Oh come God! Come on, you know, come on, you had to say it. Those are the rules. Alamoraine! Alamoraine! Yeah. So it's not. I don't know what we've got. Above that, we do have Beyond the Farthest Star, which is another cartoon, um, and it's it's another one which yeah goes into a, a bit a whole bit of nothing. Like really, on, it's got honestly... some lovely visuals actually in a comparative level, but. Like I, I would say on a list of fifty, it soon to be fifty-one. Um, the stuff we have in the bottom ten, from like the forty to fifty, doesn't get bad until I would say for I would say either forty-seven or forty-eight with the four um, from Voyager at forty-seven and the first episode of Picard at forty-eight, respectively. Yeah, and then you got like forty. You got move along home, forty one. Uh, we've got, of course, uh, Grappler Zorn um, appearing at the encounter at Farpoint on Tuesdays at eight pm, uh, two drink minimum. Then we got forty two, the pilot for Prodigy, uh, for Prodigy, Lost and Found. So this is definitely better than the pilot. Um, the pilot, like Lower Decks, I felt was was fine. But there was a lot of room to improve. Mm. So I think and, that's my flaw, definitely. I, I think there's definitely an improvement. Like Dal Oh, I care the, about him now. Is a lot less than is a lot less annoying. Yeah. He's a lot less of like the he's a lot less of like the want us to be cocky, I don't care about anyone but myself kind of yeah. street rat. Ugh. Um But yeah. It's, okay. So God, just seeing now, Cat's Paw. I loved Cat's Paw. That was very stupid. That's all the way down at 37 now. <laughs> God, this does make it a top-heavy list, which is worrying. Frankly. Yeah. It's worrying for the future. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, I think better than the pilot. Is it better? Okay, so it's better than the two pilots. So it's much better than the triple body horror. Which is more triples, more more yeah, troubles, more yeah. triples at forty three. Uh-huh. 
Alright, is it better than the Changeling at number 38? Oh, that's difficult, because I quite liked that sort of... Like, I... And 39 is Beyond the Father Star, which is the first episode of the animated yeah. series, which I really like. So, it was... honestly... <sighs> See, I think it is definitely of a comparable style to Beyond the Farthest Star, because it's got some really nice ideas, but it is very much, you know, 20 oh. minutes of... Yeah. So, mm. is it? I think this is the ultimate, like, this is the test. Is it better or worse? Then, one more time, Alamorain! Oh, shit. I think I'd rather watch Move Along Home out of them. But I've got a fondness for that. I feel a lot of our audience probably don't. I, I think we've stockholmed ourselves into loving Move Along Home, if only because Alamorain. Yeah, yeah. Basically that. So, are we saying this is worse than Alamorain? But better than Grappler Zorn appearing at the encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think right. so. That works for me. Cool. So that puts it at 41. Not ne- as we said, not necessarily a bad showing. We definitely had a good time with the episode. It's just we do have a lot of good and a lot of middling I, episodes I, I, here. I, I think with like the more story arc heavy like modern Trek shows, I think at some point we're then going to have to have like a sub list on comparing seasons. Ooh, I'm already wondering if we might have to do a completely separate episode and ranked list for short treks because they don't deserve to be on this. Yeah. But once I manage to get like a DVD of them or something, because we've got no, no adequate way of seeing them over here unless you want to take to the high seas. Oh, they're not, um, they're not on the um, Paramount Plus and the U. Haven't seen them on there. So yeah, but one day we might just have to go. Okay, if we want to do like something a bit different, just go through rank all of them on like one episode or something. Yeah, it works works for me. So we have we have ranked it. We have performed our objective casual duties for we have... this week. Yes, this self-imposed duty that we have made, um, we have done. So, uh, with that in mind, that's it for us. Uh, Until next time, where you'll get to hear us talk about the phenomenon I genuinely didn't know existed, because I'm that much of a casual, aside from just the vague knowledge um, of of the thing that has caused this name, but we'll be talking about bad morals. Wait, 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 you, you had no idea that, um, military higher ups in, or in military organizations are capable of, um, doing bad and morally questionable things out of some perverse idea of personal glory or the, and, or the greater good. Distressingly, I did know that. And that Star Trek has a lot of really shit admirals, but I didn't know it was a thing with a name. I didn't realize it was a named trope, but of course, in this world where TV tropes will have to define literally anything that goes on, um, yeah, it's it's bad moral time. Um, so yeah, we'll get to see some of Starfleet's worst people in charge. Wonderful. Yeah, um, and yeah, outside of the show, where can we find you, Mars? 
<sighs> well, I, I, I just want to say I want to do a supercut of mm. all the times we've meant of we've advertised ourselves on Twitter because I want to see the slow progression as we lose hope for Twitter. Yeah. You can find us, the show, on at casual trek pod, all one word, on Twitter. You can find my personal Twitter account on at man miles. Um, I am also, you can find um, reviews, short fictions, and opinion stuff on my blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com, which thank God isn't Twitter. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me and Charlie. Yes. Where can the good folks find you? Well, at the moment, apart, apart from on the men's room floor. Wow. Uh, that was that was in that was supposed to be confidential, Mars. Um, so you can find me at Twitter at Charlie underscore En, where I'll post about X Men most of the time and probably go on some rants about indie RPGs. Uh, you also he's, get... he's reached Morrison, so I've um... reached Morrison <laughs> and Chuck Austin soon. Oh. Oh, oh, it's going to be oh. fun. <laughs> it may not be good, but it's going to be fun. And then there's Morrison just to enjoy the rest of the time. Um, but yes, so there's that. There's skyshark.itch.io for my comics and role-playing game supplements. And then Faked Tales, where I am trying to review RPGs a bit more because I miss writing about them. And I keep seeing um, in the RPG... Well, <laughs> you 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 keep buying them. I do, I do, and I love them. And then when I want to look at them, look at what people are saying about them online, there's not enough being said. So I I do feel a need to do that myself. So yeah, um, that's it for me. Oh, and if you like what we do here, and you want to support the show, uh, you can hear hopefully the quality of Mars's mic at the moment. But um, most of the tech we have, we're still at the whims of Zencaster. And uh, my PC is a smoldering heap that even the Borg would reject. So if you want to help us out a bit and even suggest either a theme or an episode for us to build a show around in dedication to you, the listener, then you can always go to our Kofi page, which is in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so that's it from us. And um, yeah, now we're now we're removing ourselves from this collective. It's time to go do a Starfleet and live long and have a jelly baby. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily because you love what we do that much... You can now do that by going to coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.